Travis, do you take Maya to be your wedded wife to live together in marriage? Do you promise to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful only to her so long as you both shall live? If so, say, I do. Those were the words that uh, I spoke on July 19th as my sister-in-law Maya was standing in front of me facing her fiance Travis at their wedding ceremony. And uh, Travis, uh, after a brief pause which kind of conveyed the seriousness and significance of the moment, he uttered those fateful words, I do. Wow, like two such tiny words, three letters combined and yet, and yet so important and, and weighty and significant to offer your life, your whole life to another person for the rest of your lives. That's a big deal. Many of you have done that and many of you can think back to when you uttered those words. I do. I can think of those, uh, of those words. It was December 27th, I better get this right, 2003 when I said I do to Erica. Many of you, you'll think back on, on those words fondly with joy and maybe some of you not so much because maybe it didn't go so well for you. Well, I want to welcome you here at New Life Church. If you're joining us Sunday morning, we will be gathered as a church here at 10 o'clock in the morning to worship and to come to God's word in this message. Uh, together, we would love to see you come and join us if you haven't already come, come back here. And if you are someone who uh, is, is in Stonewall or the South Interlake area and you've started tuning in during COVID, we're so glad that you've found us. And if you've never been here in person before, or maybe it's been a really long time, we just really love you to come on out soon and experience what happens here on a Sunday morning. And you can get more information about uh, how you can do that, how that looks on our website. We would love uh, to see you and to meet you. Well, uh, th- this morning, we're continuing our summer sermon series going through the Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at that sixth command, which was simple. Do not murder. And yet we discovered how deep and profound that is. It's a command that really speaks about the sanctity of human life. Now, that word sanctity means sacred, holy. And so last week, we looked at how uh, human life is holy. It is unique. It has a special purpose Uh, given by God that separates us as humans from the rest of God's creation, the rest of the animal kingdom. We were made in God's image and we represent as human beings his image. And so that's what we talked about last week, the sanctity of human life. Today we're gonna talk about the sanctity of marriage, that marriage is unique It is holy. Marriage, too, is an image. It represents something bigger than itself. And so we're going to explore this seventh command here together this morning. The seventh command is really all about the sanctity of marriage. And it's simple. It's really only four words. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh of the ten commands, do not commit adultery. Now, I'm not going to lie, when we planned out this sermon series at the beginning of of the summer, I was really hoping that I'd be on vacation for this one, and Darren would have to to, to preach it, and when I found out that wasn't the case, I thought, well, maybe I could swap some of these commands so I could get out of this, but but, uh, here I am, and and you know what? Um, I'm going to give it to you. I'm not going to squirm. I'm going to share with you the unadulterated pardon the pun, word of God for us because I just think it's good and I think it's just so important for our lives today. So those four simple words, do not commit adultery, do not. I wonder how many people out there, maybe it's you and certainly people you know probably think those are great words to describe the Christian life and the Christian faith, do not. And there's a lot of people that think the Christian life is just a list of things not to do, restrictions. It's really a life of restriction. But I want to tell you, that couldn't be further from the truth. The Christian life is not at all about restriction. It's about God's liberation for us to live a free life. And that's why we've called this series Set Free to Live Free. We have been set free from slavery, the power and the guilt of sin in our life, 
Through faith in Jesus, through God's forgiveness, through his gift of the Holy Spirit, he has set us free to live a free life. The life that he created us to live. The good life. We've been set free to live free. And so this word command uh, or, or law in, in the Bible really uh, talks about, uh, it's a word used of a father's instruction to his children, fatherly counsel. And, and so what these are, what these commands are, are God's fatherly counsel to his children, conveying his wisdom so that it will go well with us, so we will live a good, free, liberated life. And so what I want us to see as we move into this, because you know the last five uh, commands in the Ten Commandments all begin with do not. And I don't want you to get the wrong impression that, that God is a killjoy or this is all just about uh, restrictions. Not at all. God is showing us what it looks like to live free and empowering us to live that free life. God's laws are not burdens to bear. They are his blessings to receive. So we want to come to this command this morning with that mindset. Do not commit adultery. Now, many of you, you maybe already are well aware of what that word adultery means. We don't use it a lot anymore, but the biblical definition of adultery, adultery is to have a physical intimacy, and, and parents, I'm going to use physical intimacy as, as in, instead of the other word, because I know there's littler ears uh, that are tuning in here. And so, kids, if you're watching at home, the word of the week is covenant, if you just count how many times you hear the word covenant in this sermon and your parents pass that on to the office, we're gonna give you some prizes, all right? So, so, so keep tracking. So parents, we're gonna talk about physical intimacy a little bit here uh, today. So adultery is um, to have physical intimacy with someone that you're not married to. Pretty simple, to have physical intimacy with someone that you're not married to. What I want us to see right off the bat here is that... Uh, in this command, it does not talk about physical intimacy in a negative light, not at all. Sexual desire is a part of God's good design for us as human beings. Uh, it's a part of God's good design for our lives. It's not something that's bad or shameful or embarrassing. At the beginning of the Bible, it said God made them man and male and female. God made them in his image. He created them. A part of God's good design for us is sexual desire. And like any desire that we have of any type, uh, it can be used both productively or it can be used destructively. And that's certainly true in this case. So if we think of kind of desire and this desire as, as a fire, we know that fire has, has great destructive potential. I mean a forest fire, something that's out of control, without boundaries, can ravage a forest, can ravage communities, can burn down houses and take lives. Fire can be destructive, but fire can also be very life-giving. Fire can be very productive if it is contained within its proper boundaries. And so what that might look like is a wood stove or a fireplace or an oven or something like that, uh, a place that holds fire so that it can be used productively in our lives. So, so any desire for it to be used well, the way God intended, it has boundaries. It has limits. And that's certainly the case here as we talk about God's design for sexual desire. The firebox of desire that God created for us is marriage. Okay, these are the limits that God created for, for us in this area. Marriage, in fact, we see this here in at the very beginning of the Bible. In chapter uh, two of Genesis, right after God has made man and he has made woman. And then it says this in Genesis chapter two, verses 24 and 25. It says, that is why a man uh, must leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Okay, talking about physical intimacy. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So there you have it. God institutes, establishes marriage. He says a man will leave his family and be united to his wife 
There's marriage and they will be one flesh. There's physical intimacy. And then it describes it. And they were naked before one another and they felt no shame. And so what we need to see there is God's design for this desire is not just that we could procreate and have children, okay? That, that is one of the reasons. I would suggest that's not even the primary reason. The primary reason God made us this way with this desire to be fulfilled in marriage was, was so, uh, so that we could have deep, profound, emotional intimacy within the context of marriage with our spouse. It is a gift of God that deepens, that strengthens, that solidifies and fosters a deep bond, uh, a, a real emotional intimacy. And this is its primary purpose that God has, has, has made it for within the context of Marriage. Now, now that all seems very foreign, kind of alien today, does, doesn't it? And some people would say just downright wrong. Um, you know, we, we, today, 2020, we might feel we've been liberated from that sort of restricting, restraining mindset. And we just see all around us, we live in this kind of hypersexualized age. I was just uh, looking at some stats that 90% of all depictions of physical intimacy on the TV screen, you know, on media, 90% of it uh, is in the context of, of outside of marriage. So almost all of what we see in the media around us, the way it's portrayed, is outside the way for which God designed it. And to me, this is a crazy stat, but almost half of all internet data I mean, there's a lot on the internet. Almost half of all internet data is pornography. And, and so I probably don't have to convince you that we just live in a really hyper-sexualized age. And uh, up until a few years ago, and maybe you remember this, it was all over the news. There was an organization called Ashley Madison. And uh, it was kind of a dating website to connect people, but it was to connect married, to pe- married people to people who were not their spouse. And they were pretty brazen about this. Their slogan was this, life is short, have an affair. I'm not lying. That was actually their company slogan. Life is short. Have an affair. And their busiest days, interestingly, on their website were New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, and Father's Day. Very interesting. And we've almost moved a step further today in our society where not only is this more permissible, but now it's almost becoming encouraged. And more and more, I'm just seeing articles uh, about how you know, the, this whole idea of monogamy and marriage is actually harmful to us kind of emotionally and, and it's something we actually should get rid of for our good. And so there's kind of this movement towards things like open relationships and uh, polygamy, you know, like multiple partners and this sort of thing as if monogamy, not only is it old-fashioned, but it, it might actually even just be bad. And so this is kind of the growing narrative in our society. But you know what? That's not actually all that new. You might think it's new, but that is actually very old. In fact, there was a Greek writer, an ancient Greek writer by the name of uh, Demosthenes. And I just want to read you what he wrote uh, millennia ago. He said this, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. We keep wives for the begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. So long as a man supported his wife and family, there was no shame whatsoever in extramarital affairs. So, hey, this is a really actually old idea. Um, and uh, it certainly was, was the culture, the practice when God gave these revolutionary words to his people many hundreds of years ago. In fact, the place that God was leading his people into the promised land, they were going to be surrounded by the Canaanites. And, and the Canaanites, not only was it a part of their culture, but it was actually a part of their religion. It was a part of their worship. When Canaanites would go to the temples of the gods that they had fashioned, one of their acts of worship was to engage in physical intimacy with temple prostitutes. It was actually an act of worship to their gods. When they indulged in, in, in these desires they had in an unrestrained way, really what they were doing is they were reflecting the character of the gods that they worshipped, which were false gods, of course, gods of their own imagination, their own making, so obviously gods that would just be a reflection of themselves. And these gods they had made, well, they were selfish gods, just like we can be selfish people. They would give you something, but only if you gave them something in return. 
If you gave them what they wanted, they would give you what you wanted. And that's really what a contract is, right? A contract is a way of securing my own good. I will give you this if you promise to give me that. And so at the end of the day, all of that was was just a pursuit of self. A pursuit of self in the religion of the day in which God delivered this command. And so we just need to understand how revolutionary this command was now, but not just now, but then as well. And it was so revolutionary because the God, the one true God, the God who reveals himself in the scriptures is a very different kind of God than all the false gods that everybody else fashioned and worshiped. A very different kind of God, which is reflected in this revolutionary command. And we get a sense of this in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is instructing husbands and wives, just kind of some practical tips on how to live well in, uh, in the marriage relationship. And after he does that in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 31 and 32, Paul says this. Now Paul quotes those words we read from Genesis chapter 2, that foundational text establishing marriage, he quotes that. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And then he says this, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Hmm. What he's saying is that, you know, marriage and everything that goes with that is far bigger than just one man and one woman. It is about so much more than just that relationship. He says, actually, marriage is a picture. It is God's picture reflecting God's character. Reflecting, in this case, God's relationship with us through his son, Jesus. The love of God that is revealed in Christ. And so if we back up a few verses, in Ephesians 5, or uh, yeah, 525, he, uh, Paul instructs husbands, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, for us. Husbands, you are to treat your wife the way Christ treated the church. And what you are doing in marriage as you relate to one another in this most unique of relationships, you are, uh, you are kind of enacting a dramatization of the reality of God's love for us that has been expressed fully in Jesus Christ who came into the world, the Son of God, and he laid down his life for us even though we were sinners and flawed and broken people, far from God. He gave himself up for us that we might know forgiveness, that we might be reconciled and have union and fellowship with God and life forever with him. This is God's love demonstrated in Christ Jesus. And Paul says that's what marriage is all about. Um, and, and so when God wanted to, to kind of g- give us a picture of, of that, that kind of demonstrated the gospel, the truth of his love for us, the nature of his relationship with us, what, what this means is he didn't just kind of look around and go, ah, geez, what is it? Mm, well, it's kind of like marriage, guys. You know, like that relationship between a man and a woman. That's not what this means. What Paul is saying is that God's design, his intent from the very beginning when he made man and woman and he made marriage, he was creating for us a picture of his Uh, faithful covenant love for us, his unconditional love shown in his son Jesus Christ. And Paul says this was the mystery. This is what marriage is. It's a dramatization of the reality of the gospel. God is this sort of God. Not like these other gods, right? If you give them what they want, they'll give you something in return. No, our God is a God of unconditional love, right? He is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God who designed this picture to reflect to one another and to reflect into the world that reality, a picture of that, of his character and his love. And that picture is marriage. And he created sexual desire so that within that context so that we might just have a, a, a little glimpse and understanding of the intensity of his desire for us. You know, it's kind of interesting. I learned this a number of, of years ago, but at the height of physical intimacy, 
at the climax of physical intimacy, the part of your brain that feels fear and anxiety actually gets shut off. It actually gets overridden. In those brief moments, you cannot, physiologically, you cannot experience fear and anxiety. And and when I heard that, this, wow, like the depth of God's design for marriage and physical intimacy as a picture of our relationship with him, um, that's just a little bit of a glimpse of, of the perfect union that, that uh, we will have fully with him one day in heaven. It's a foretaste of that perfect relationship with God, perfectly known, no shame, no, uh, no fear, no anxiety, and so Jesus said in Mark chapter 12 when uh, some teachers of the, of the law, uh, you know, the, the religious class of his day came and said, oh, Jesus, let's just say there was a woman. She had seven husbands. They all died and she kept remarrying and she married seven times. In heaven, whose wife is she? Which of the seven? And Jesus says, you don't get it. There is no marriage in heaven. There's no giving and taking of marriage in heaven. That's for this life alone. Why? Because marriage, and and so physical intimacy is for this life alone, because God designed that to be a picture of the greater thing. And when we receive the greater thing, it no longer needs this shadow. The shadow disappears. When the sun rises, the moon disappears. We have the real thing. And so the marriage relationship and and physical intimacy within it is a picture designed by God to reflect the reality of his love for us, to reflect the truth of the gospel. And so C.S. Lewis, that great um, writer, he said this, Compared to the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to God in an ecstasy of love and delight, the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. Wow. And so what I want us just to hear here, that sexual intimacy is, is, a, is really a picture of, uh, of spiritual intimacy with God. And this is why in the Bible, uh, the, 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 the imagery that God uses to describe the idolatry, the idolatry of his people, idolatry is to take the affection and the commitment uh, that is due to God alone and to give that to something or someone else to whom it doesn't belong, that's idolatry. Uh, it, throughout the scriptures, God uses sexual adultery as an illustration of spiritual idolatry. And so what, what is adultery? Well, it is taking the love and the affection and the commitment and the intimacy that belongs to uh, and is pledged to your covenant partner, in this case, your spouse in marriage, and, and, and giving that to someone else to whom that does not belong. And so there's this connection between spiritual idolatry and sexual adultery that is so clear, taking what, what belongs within the context of a covenant and giving, and giving that to someone outside of that covenant, outside of the context of that pledged life, right? And, and if that's what sexual intimacy is, it, it, it is, like it said in Genesis 2, being, a, being at a place where you're naked and there's no shame, there's no vulnerability, you're fully known, you're fully given and committed to one another, and that's the beauty of what that is, to, to be able to go to that place with someone who is totally committed to you, to whom you, you have unconditional commitment and love. And that creates the context for that deep intimacy and vulnerability. And then there's problem and there's damage when, when we go to that intimate place outside of that pledge, that covenant pledge of lifelong commitment in marriage. Marriage is sacred. It's a sacred picture. It has a sacred purpose to portray something wonderful to the world. But Jesus shows us uh, that, it's, that it's deeper maybe than we thought. And certainly it's deeper than the people around him at that time when he spoke these words thought as well. Jesus is going to show us the fullness of the command. And so in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 and 28. Uh, these are just verses um, after he talks about murder, which we looked at last week. In the Sermon on the Mount with his disciples, uh, Jesus says, 
In verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And of course, they, they all knew that. And most of them, they would have went, well, yeah, of course. And if, if they were good, upstanding Jews, they, they said, yep, check. Yep, I've kept that one. We're good. We can move on. And Jesus you know, is about to rock their world a little bit. He says, hold on, guys. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, the, He's talking about a man's lusting after a woman, but, but I mean, th- this is for all of us here. He says, even if you lust after someone who is not uh, your spouse, he says, that is to break this commandment, to not commit adultery. So what, what Jesus is saying is that adultery isn't just about keeping our hands off others. It's about keeping our thoughts and our hearts off others. It really always begins, always begins in the heart, Jesus says. Adultery is a heart issue. Lust is, is, is playing out adultery in our minds. What is lust? It's it's kind of indulging these thoughts and these desires for another who don't belong to us in the context of marriage. Okay, so instead of playing that out with our hands, it's playing that scenario out in our minds. And we are called to honor God and we are called to honor our spouses, not just with our actions, but with our thoughts as well. And if we think of it on a deep level, then wow, I, I, I don't know how you're doing, but... I just find myself doing weird things sometimes. I don't even, this probably sounds silly, but, I, but, but I'm guessing that most of you can probably relate. Like I'll, I'll find myself just walking out, out in public somewhere and, and, and maybe I see someone come the other way that I identify as an attractive person. And right away, my instinct is to think about is my, is my stomach tucked in or my shoulders back? Am I kind of looking my, looking my best? That, that's almost like an instinctual Reaction. I don't know if you can relate to that. Or when you're looking through pictures and wanting to put something up as your Facebook profile picture, you know, you're wanting to find that best picture that has the best angle. And what are we trying to do so often is we are trying to, if we're honest, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make ourselves alluring, right, to, to somebody else. And that happens almost instinctually to us. So I, I think if we're to be honest, we find that this is really a deep, deep issue in our hearts and in our minds. But what, what God is, what Jesus is saying is here, here is we are responsible for our thoughts. We are responsible for our thoughts. You know, Luther, Martin Luther said, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair which I think is a way of saying, listen, you're gonna be out and, and we all experience that where you, you maybe look at someone and in a moment, you, you recognize the attractiveness and you recognize that draw within you, okay? And, and I think many Christians have put on themselves unnecessary guilt. Like, mom, I, I looked at a girl and, and I liked her and I'm just so sorry and I'm so sorry, God. And, Lust isn't recognizing the attractiveness in, in someone else and feeling that draw. That's not lust. Lust is what you do with that feeling. Okay, it's not the first glance. Lust is the second glance. It's what you do when those thoughts and feelings arise that, 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 can, that can become what Jesus calls lust and which is the problem. So what to do? What, what, what to do with that? with, with th- that, those thoughts and desires when they come. Well, Jesus continues here in, in the next verses, Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, um, if, hold on here, buckle up. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And verse 30 And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I just want to stop you, just in case some of you are already running for like the knife drawer in your kitchen. Please don't do that. What is Jesus doing here? Well, it's a literary device called hyperbole, okay? Jesus is not saying that we ought to go and castrate ourselves and pluck out our eyes and cut off our hands. Please don't, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. What he's trying to do is to convey how seriously we need to take these heart and thought issues. 
Because he lived with a people that were only concerned with the hands and the action and he's trying, to, he's trying to kind of show them that it actually begins on the inside and you have to take that very seriously because what he says is if you don't take that seriously, you are on a path in your thoughts and in your desires, you're on a path, he says, that if you continue in that path ends in abandoning God and separation from him eternally. He says, take this very seriously. So he's trying to get our attention here. Be proactive, he says. Develop disciplines, Christians, that, that uh, will, will guard you. Guard your heart and guard your mind and guard your hands and guard, guard your marriages and your families and your faith and your reputation. Um, fight for your purity, Jesus says here. So what does that look like? In, in our last few minutes together, what does it look like to fight for our purity? And I, I just want to give you five kind of quick suggestions about ways that, uh, disciplines that we can have that will, that will help us kind of battle against uh, lust and adultery and keep this seventh command. So the first one is this, guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. You know, it was Job there in the Old Testament. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes never to look lustfully after a woman. What, what an interesting way of saying, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And so, and so guys, but not just guys, gals too. What, what this means is we need to be very careful what, what we allow into our, our eyes. It goes into our brain. And if we're, we're naive to think that somehow that doesn't shape us, shape our thoughts and our desires and our actions, it absolutely does. Everything you allow in shapes you. It is food. Like they say, you are what you eat. Well, you will be what you see. You will be what you see. And so what do you see? So what I would say is avoid pornography. And I know many, uh, many of you out there, like this is something that you're struggling with right now. And, and I mean, don't be ashamed of it in, in, so fact, in so far as, hey, this is, a, this is a really common struggle and we need, to, we need to be honest about this and we need to kind of drag this out of the darkness because we need to deal with this and, and the church needs to be the place and our relationships need to, need to be the place to deal with this. But we need to, we need to fight against, ba- avoid pornography or maybe other explicit content. You know, if you go into Netflix and we have a Netflix account, man, it is hard to find good shows to watch that, that aren't just full of this. And, and, and purposefully designed to titillate us, to entice us. Um, and so we have to be very conscious about what we expose our eyes and our minds to. It will shape our attitudes. It will shape our actions. Um, and, and so I would say to you, I mean, many of you out there, you're, you're not married, and maybe someday many of you will be married. But what I would say, I was an unmarried guy once, and, and uh, I was surprised, as I'm sure many others have been, that uh, when you become married, all your problems just don't go away automatically. It's, it, see, I, I think that's a common misconception. You know what? I'm not married, so, so I kind of have this outlet for this desire, and, and maybe for some that's pornography. Um, but, you know, like it, it's, once I get married and I have someone to be with, that'll just kind of fall away. No, it won't. Mm-mm. It does not work that way. This is a heart issue. So what I would say to you unmarried is you need to work, like your, the work for your marriage begins now when you're not married, okay? The work of purity for your future marriage begins now. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fight the good fight uh, against pornography and, and, and just guarding your eyes in order to guard your heart. And one thing I would see is, you know, when you see an attractive person, maybe just kind of develop like a, a, a habit, you know, like, like if, if you notice that, that your mind can maybe go places if, if, if you're exposed to certain things or see people that look a certain way, I mean, just wh- what can you do in that moment to train yourself? M- maybe it's to do something like um, whenever that, that, that thought comes to you, um, right away pray for that person. That kind of de-objectifies them and makes them a human being and gives them, shows their sacredness. Pray that God would reveal himself uh, and be known by that person. I, I think that that's one way that could really help, just to train yourself to do that, um, or, or to express thankfulness to God for your spouse if you are married. But that, that's a question for you. How can you turn your heart to, to God and to your spouse when those feelings arise? You know, like, um, 
be, be strategic and intentional about that. So number one, guard your eyes. Number two, develop clear boundaries with, with people of the opposite sex. Cl- uh, clear, um, strict boundaries. You know, d- adultery, before it ever becomes a physical thing, it's an emotional, relational thing. It always begins or almost always begins with emotional intimacy, which starts innocently, normally, but if unchecked, grows and, and eventually often becomes physical intimacy. And so you see this in all sorts of relationships and often, um, you know, in, in the workplace. And so something I would say, and it sounds really kind of old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy, but I think it's true. Don't, if you're married, don't develop closer r- r- friendships with people of the opposite sex, at least not independent of your spouse. Do not develop close friendships with others. Do not, do not lean on them and kind of make yourself vulnerable and pour out your heart and, and, and give to them and use them for, uh, for what you should be using your spouse to do, to, to, to uh, encourage and, and, and console. So um, you, you need to be very careful about the boundaries you draw in, in relationships with the opposite sex to protect yourself. To, so we need to recognize the danger and then build those fences that guard us for our own good and also just for our reputation to, to be above reproach as the Bible says, right? Because it's about perception too and, and, and not just kind of reality but it's about the perception we give to others. And so while we need to have total transparency, tr- total transparency with our spouse and and. and total free, open, transparent communication with them. We need to be very careful about lines with others that we do not build emotional intimacy um, and, and, and deep friendships with people of the opposite sex. So that's number two. Number three, pursue your spouse. Pursue your spouse. You know, I remember when I was in the Dominican Republic, I don't think we had kids yet. Erica and I were just a few years married. We were at one of these all-inclusives. And uh, we had a little shop on the beach and, and that one of the workers there, we got chatting and, and uh, we were talking about our wives. And, and I said, yeah, I'm married. And he, I asked, are you married? Said, yeah, I'm married, he says. But you know, like I've got girlfriends. Oh, I, I was a little taken aback by that. Uh, how, how forthcoming he was with that information. I said, oh, really? Oh, he says, yeah. He, he said, well, would you want to eat rice for every meal? <laughs> so in his mind, his wife was a meal. His wife was bland rice. And who would want to eat r- the same meal you know, day after day after day. No one would want to do that. And so he has a variety of meals. And this was how he thought of it. And um, that's just, that is such a big lie that that's what marriage is. That that's what monogamy is. You know, the most fulfilled people in relationships and in physical intimacy, the, the most satisfied uh, people are those who are totally devoted to one another in marriage, who are pursuing one another, putting in the effort, and just going deeper and deeper and creating that context, like it said in Genesis chapter two, when God made marriage a place where you can be totally vulnerable and totally free and unencumbered about worries and anxieties about how you're being perceived and totally be enjoyed and enjoy the other. That's marriage. And, 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 and that context leads to the most, so all studies have shown this time and time again. The most unsatisfied people in physical intimacy are those that are looking for it in other places. The most satisfied are when two people are pursuing it with one another solely in the context of marriage. That's the way God designed it. Not as a burden, but as a blessing to receive. But what that means is we gotta pursue our spouse. Our spouses are not bland rice. We gotta find the spice, okay? We need, to, we, we, we need to pursue our spouse. Often we'll do this in, in dating, right? We will, we will make an effort and, and we will go to new places and have new experiences and, and ask one another questions. And, and then we get married and we get settled in and then we stare across the table from one another as we eat our cornflakes silently. How do we get there? Well, that might happen naturally. So it, it's hard work it's work that we need to put in to, to keep pursuing one another. And I think some people in marriage, they're surprised that, oh, you gotta keep pursuing one another in marriage. Absolutely you do. What does it look like for you to pursue your spouse? 
you know, regular dates, what it would look like for you to make an effort to pursue your spouse. So that's number three. Number four, find a trusted friend, a confidant that you can share with, you know, can share your, your struggles with, maybe share your sins with. Uh, someone really trusted, someone godly of good character that can support and strengthen you. You know, God made us for community outside of our marriage. Like our, our spouse is, is not to be the person that we share all that stuff with, okay, in this area. What we all need is we need someone of the same sex, uh, a, a good strong friend who we can go here with and be intentional about some of these conversations so that we can be held accountable, so that we can be encouraged uh, at times, we all need to be encouraged in, in, our, in our marriage. And, and you know, Satan, he, he, wants to keep peop- he wants to keep these issues in the dark. Um, he wants to keep kind of us locked in pride and fear and shame. And God wants to free us from all of those things. And, and, and that requires kind of, that requires uh, strong community. Um, and, and, you know, so you'll see kind of on the Serengeti, all those National Geographic you know, uh, where, the, where the cheetah's chasing the gazelle or something. And, and how do they get their prey? It's not necessarily the weakest one that they end up catching and eating. Um, no, it's the one that they can separate from the pack, right? I mean, if the weak one stays with the strong ones close by, they're safe. But as soon as that cheetah is able to separate one from the pack, then they're dead meat. Literally, they're dead meat. And so it's really no different in our spiritual lives and, 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 and in, our, um, in, in this area in our life. Uh, we, are, we are vulnerable when we are separated, when, when we lack that sort of support, when we lack that community. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we need to be intentional and, 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 and make this a priority to find and have somebody in our life to whom that we can talk about these things with in an intentional way way. Um, and, and this isn't just corrective medicine, like, okay, well, you might say, well, I don't have a problem, so maybe if someone had a problem, that'd be a good thing. This isn't just corrective medicine, this is preventative medicine as well, right? Like, if we find ourselves in that context, with those conversations, with that accountability, that strengthens our defenses and ensures uh, that we will kind of walk in the right way. And so, do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have someone like that? You need someone if you don't. So find a trusted friend that you can talk with on a regular basis about these things. La- fifthly, lastly, pursue Jesus Christ. Pursue Christ. You know, there's a common little illustration that you often hear at weddings. It's not really about marriage per se, although I think it's very applicable in that relationship. It comes from Ecclesiastes chapter four when it said that Two are better than one. You know, if someone falls down, the other person can help them up. Two people are better than one. And then it says, uh, two are better than one, but a, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, this is plain old science. If you have uh, a rope of two cords, it's twice as strong as one cord. But if you weave a third cord into that rope, the strength grows exponentially, okay? It's now seven times stronger with a third strand. And so this is just science here, but what's the point? The point is God is the third strand in, in our marriage relationship. Um, and, and an essential stand even if we're not married in our, in our lives for our future marriage if we're to be married. God is that third strand that gives us strength. You know, before you commit adultery uh, on your spouse, you really have to, to commit idolatry against God. That always comes first. Before you can cheat on your spouse, you gotta cheat on God. You know, if your heart stays close to God, your heart will stay close to your spouse. And if your heart strays from God, there's a much higher chance your heart's gonna stray from your spouse. That's just the way it works. If we are close to God, if we are pursuing relationship with him, the, the byproduct of that, the side effect will be that we will, our, our relationship with our spouse will be, we strengthened our, our heart life, our thought life, our actions with our spouse will be healthier and foster um, that, that sort of, uh, th- that love and faithfulness and that purity. And so, I mean, such a key thing is, is pursuing Christ. And so, I mean, do you want your marriage to get better? Pursue Christ. I mean, do you want to be more marriageable so that when you are married in the future, you're going to have a better marriage? Pursue Christ. 
Because when you put that, that relationship will pay such dividends in your marriage because it will shape you and make you the sort of person that will be strong in this area, that will succeed. So, hey, my question for you is, are you pursuing Christ? Are you pursuing, yeah, I know most of you watching, you're Christians, you've made a commitment to Christ, you believe in all of that, that's great. How are you pursuing Christ right now? Like, how are you, are, are you trying to go to the next level? That would be the fifth way, pursue Christ. Okay, five ways. Hey, my question for you is, which one or two of those kind of strike you as being most relevant to your situation right now? You know, and I think there's something there for all of us, whether we're young or old or married or unmarried. Uh, what, what, what's one or two of, of those five disciplines that, you know, when you go into your week, you can actually start working on. You know, you, you can begin growing in that discipline so that you can, that you can uh, keep this command of God to not commit adultery. Um, and I'm gonna give you a, a, a moment here in a minute just to bring that question to God. But I know some of you right now, like even talking about this, it, it's kind of hard uh, because, you know, this is, this is an area you struggle in. And, and, and maybe, maybe you're stuck in, in some sinful patterns and you feel guilt and you feel shame and maybe you're discouraged or you're convicted. Man, I, man some of us need to be convicted. Maybe all of us do. And so I, I hope we feel convicted. But I don't want you to be discouraged, right? And, and for this to just kind of heap more shame on you than you're already carrying. Because what we all need to hear here is that according to Jesus, we all struggle we're all adulterers. We all need God's grace. Without exception, we all need God's grace and God is there to give it to us no matter where we are or where we've been. And I love this story from John chapter eight. You know those Pharisees, religious leaders who checked this box and of course they had never broken this command. They would never think of it. And they found this young woman caught in the act of adultery and she was dragged before them in the public court and they were about to stone this woman to death and they said to Jesus, Jesus, this woman was caught, caught in adultery. What do you think we should do? And Jesus looked at them and he said, well, that's true. He knew she had sinned. And he said, hey, you who are without sin, you throw the first stone. One by one, they all dropped their stones and they left because we all need God's grace and God is there to give it. And God, uh, Jesus looks down at, at this woman, this frightened woman, and he said, has no one condemned you? Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. And he offered compassion and mercy to this woman and he gave her grace and we all need that. So, I mean, there's some of you, you're discouraged out there. God is there to give you the grace. Strive for holiness and trust in God's forgiveness. We can do both of those at the same time. Strive for holiness. Trust in God's forgiveness. So, uh, you know, there's that Ashley Madison slogan, life is short, have an affair. Well, I, I would say this. Life is short, eternal life is long. Be faithful. Life is short, eternal life is long. Be faithful. Do not commit adultery. All right, I mean, as, as um, you take this and as you go with this, I just wanna invite you into a moment of prayer right now. Uh, wherever you're at, like, I just drop your head, close your eyes, and, and just take a moment to talk to God. And uh, thank, first of all, just thank him for his faithfulness and his forgiveness. We all need it. And, and so just take a moment and thank God for his grace on you, for his unconditional love for you. Just receive that again. And just take another moment. You know, if, there, if there's some sin in this area of your life that has come into your mind, confess it. Don't, don't hide it. Bring it out. Confess it to God. That, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the first step in breaking its power. So is there anything that you need to confess right now in this area in your life? Just take a moment and do that right now. And lastly, um, 
Just take a moment and ask God, God, what do I need to do? As I go into the week with this, and, and I've been reminded of, of this command, what this all means, do not commit adultery, God, how is it that I can grow in obedience to this command this week? Which one of these disciplines um, can I grow in so that I grow in purity? Just take, just take a moment, think on that, and ask God to show you what it is he wants you to do with what you've heard. Father God, your love for us is so great. It is limitless. Your grace is bottomless. And we need it. Lord, we are just all sinful, broken people, but you are renewing us and you are healing us and you are strengthening us and you are freeing us to more and more be the people we were created to be, to have the good life we were created to have. And I thank you that through your son Jesus, you have made a way to forgiveness. You have made a way to a new life, a restored relationship with you, to freedom, true freedom. And so Lord, in this area of life, as we think about kind of um, this area of, of physical intimacy, uh, sexual desire, um, with our attitudes and our thought life and our actions. Lord, I just pray that you would guide us, that you would show us how it is that we uh, need to obey this, Lord, in our lives. And, and Lord, just by the power of your spirit, just in, uh, enable us, equip us uh, just to walk in purity for our good and for your glory. We offer ourselves to you again, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, before you go, uh, we're, we're going to close in declaring these words together. And uh, you've been to church online, so you've been to church kind of. It's time to be the church as you go into this week. Uh, you've been reminded that you go in representing your God, okay? Um, so let's go and let's represent him in our actions and in our thoughts so that other people may know who God is, the type of God he is, and that through us, uh, they may be drawn closer to his goodness. And so uh, let's just declare this together as we go into our weeks. Thank you so much uh, just for for, uh, joining us online. Join us and join me in reading the all caps. We are the church, so wherever you go, Christ goes. If someone asks, what is your church like? Let's tell them, I am what my church is like. If someone asks, what does your church do? Let's tell them, I am doing what my church does. We are the church, and we may be the only contact that someone has with Jesus this week. So though they may not yet belong to the church, we can bring the church to them. Go in peace.